मौजूद है दो बहुत ही खास मेहमान एंड इनको बुलाने का मकसद ये था कि आने वाले दो एक दिन में ओ आई सी की कॉन्फ्रेंस हो रही है बहुत इंपॉर्टेंट कॉन्फ्रेंस है बड़े से बाद इस लेवल के ऊपर हो रही है पाकिस्तान में मुस्लिम वर्ल्ड जो है वो यूनाइटेड एक फेस लेकर सामने आए और वो जो मेजर प्रॉब्लम फेस हो रही हैं मुसलमानों को ओवरऑल एंड ओवरऑल दुनिया भर में उसके सोल्यूशन के ऊपर यू नो गेट टूगेदर एंड इम्पॉर्टेंट गेस्ट आसिम इफ्तार अहमद साहब हु इज़ दी फॉरन ऑफिस स्पोक्स पर्सन फॉर पाकिस्तान एंड रिजवान सईद शेख साहब हु इज़ द परमानेंट रिप्रेजेंटेटिव टू दी ओ आई सी फ्राम पाकिस्तान सर थैंक यू सो मच फॉर पार्ट द शो थैंक यू मैं कॉन्वर्जेशन में स्टार्ट करूँगा जस्ट ट्राइंग टू अंडरस्टैंड के वाई डू थिंक दिस पर्टिकुलर कॉन्फ्रेंस जो ओ आई सी की अभी हो रही है पाकिस्तान में आई बिलीव के अभी जो रिसेंटली हुई थी उससे पहले आफ्टर वेरी वेरी लॉन्ग टाइम पाकिस्तान इज होल्डिंग सच कॉन्फ्रेंस ऑफ दिस लेवल वाई डू थिंक इट्स इट्स इम्पॉर्टेंट एंड एंड मोर इम्पॉर्टेंटली एजेंडा में हम क्या देख रहे हैं कि इसमें क्या चीज़ें डिस्कस होंगी एंड ऑल्सो लिटल बेट अबाउट के कौन कौन सी कंट्रीज पार्टिसिपेट कर रही हैं जो हमें पता है कन्फर्म जिनके फॉरन मिनिस्टर्स आ रहे हैं थैंक यू मुजामल थैंक यू फॉर हैविंग अस आई थिंक आई मीन फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल द इम्पॉर्टेंस ऑफ ओ आई सी इट सेल्फ इट इज़ द सेकेंड लार्जेस्ट इंटरनेशनल ऑर्गेनाइजेशन इन द वर्ल्ड आफ्टर द यू एन सो इट हैज़ फिफ्टी सेवन मेम्बर्स राइट सो द सिग्निफिकेंस ऑफ ओ आई सी इज़ क्वाइट क्लियर एंड फॉर पाकिस्तान मोर सो बिकॉज पाकिस्तान इज़ नॉट ओनली अ फाउंडिंग मेम्बर ऑफ ओ आई सी इट हैज़ थ्रू आउट दीज इयर्स हैज़ प्लेड you know a really influential and leading role uh, at the OIC and we have held uh, OIC summits and uh, ministerial meetings before so this particular session is obviously important if you look at you know the regional and global you know context uh, significant developments are taking place in our neighborhood and beyond uh, and apart from that uh, you would have noticed that uh, the dates are coinciding with the uh, 23rd march you know the so we are celebrating uh, this year uh, 75 years of our independence so right. i would say it is important from that perspective also pakistan throughout these decades has contributed to oic's uh, objectives and interests promoting peace and justice uh, within the islamic world and you know advocating oic's uh, role Uh, globally do you think uh, the guests so, will be participating in the in the parade as well or will be uh, no? yes okay. so the visiting uh, ministers and heads of delegations they will be our guests of honor right uh, on 23rd at the pakistan day parade so you know this makes this uh, event all the more historic uh, in that sense so i think this is a great show of support and solidarity if you can if you can say uh, from the islamic world towards pakistan so it is significant in many aspects and as for agenda um, you know um, kashmir apart from palestine these two are you know the most amongst, important ones amongst the most significant events uh, on the agenda of the oic so they are going to be discussed at length Right. and they are going to be important outcomes on both um, the oic members are going to reiterate i am sure their firm support for the right to self determination of the kashmiri and the palestinian people and apart from that there will be many other things afghanistan will be again reviewed uh, we just had the uh, ministerial meeting in december uh, there are other issues like islamophobia uh, this is going to be on the agenda 
and then on the economic and uh, social and cultural side there will be a host of uh, you know matters with, that will come under discussion i think uh, a common uh, concern for all oic countries is you know the recovery post covid so this is going to be an important uh, thing uh, and we have other initiatives uh, that we are um, bringing up at the oic and i'm sure apart from all this what's happening uh, currently uh, in our region and beyond that's going to be part of the discussion as well right and who are who all are we expecting to participate um, we, we, well we in terms about... of participation all 57 members uh, of oic uh, they are participating uh, and we have uh, significantly high level representation uh, more than 45 at ministerial level Uh, other high-level delegations, and uh, we have the observer states, and there are six observers at OIC, and then many countries and organizations. Uh, they have their special envoys and representatives, and towards OIC, they are going to participate. And then there are other institutions, uh, you know, bodies related to OIC and other regional organizations like the UN. the arab league uh, eco uh, and african union so it's going to be uh, you know a big show right um thoda samajh bataiye guys this is for the first time uh, and rizwan sir if if you like to take this question uh, this is the first time that uh, all parties huriyat conference has been invited to the oic as well as as per my understanding no uh they have they been invited before as well yes. um and we, so we saw okay there is bit, there has been a reaction from uh you know india on this and 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 you know obviously they uh, they've been pretty vocal about this as well why do you think uh, inviting them is is important and and you know we've already talked about kashmir being a very important part of the agenda um how how do you think this impacts the overall proceedings of this conference and and, and potentially what we can gain out of it well since uh, as the spokesperson has already mentioned kashmir is amongst the Uh, longest standing items uh, on the oic agenda there has been this tradition at the oic to invite the true representatives of kashmiri people and uh, they uh, not only participate in the contact group on jammu and kashmir that has been constituted by uh, the council of foreign ministers to directly deal with uh, the kashmir dispute uh, but they also get to speak at the main plenary to address the conference and and uh, that tra- tradition has been there for a while as i said and it's not the first time uh, that uh, aphc a representation has been invited uh, to uh, an oic uh, cfm they have even been invited to summits previously uh, but uh, india's reaction is certainly uh, out of uh, a guilt that uh, there is there Uh, because uh, they definitely more than anybody else in their heart of heart know that they have uh, unleashed uh, havoc uh, in terms of uh, the uh, human rights and humanitarian situation in the indian illegally occupied uh, jammu and kashmir so uh, expecting from them uh, that uh, they would uh, let the iaphc uh, leadership participate Uh, in um, in in uh, this OIC conference uh, is is uh, anybody's guess. Uh, so uh, the fact is that two leaders that have been invited uh, are under detention. They are incarcerated. It's uh, Mirwais Omar Farooq who has previously uh, participated even 
uh, one of the OIC in one of the OIC summits that was held in Dakar in Senegal in 2008 uh, and uh, then there is Musarat Alam Bhat so again um, behind the bars uh, on on falls and fake charges Uh, so uh, this is a clear uh, demonstration uh, for the world to see uh, that not only uh, that uh, the leadership the true representatives of the kashmiri people uh, are being uh, not uh, are not being allowed uh, the full scope of uh, their basic human rights uh, but uh, the international uh, opinion international community international organizations are not being allowed to talk to them directly uh, not to have them uh, you know not to let them have their say right. uh, in in terms of what exactly is the situation in the indian illegally occupied jammu and kashmir particularly post 5th august uh, 2019 so it's it's a clear demonstration and it is for the whole world to see Uh, the OIC geography to see, and since, as the spokesperson has already mentioned, there will be special envoys from most of the Western countries, like UK, uh, United States, France. Uh, I mean, all the P5 are represented in one or the other way. Uh, Russia is a, an observer at the OIC. There is Australia, Canada, all the other countries. Most of the important countries are represented at this gathering. they would get to see from uh, for themselves uh, as to what is the situation uh, with regard to uh, freedom and the fundamental freedoms human rights and humanitarian situation is already in front of their eyes it is for them now to draw the right conclusions right and uh, not only that oic would be making strong pronouncements in this regard uh, at the islamabad cfm Uh, the other countries the special envoys uh, that are participating should also take home with them Uh, this message of india not allowing participation of the true representatives and then we hope that the international community will take action accordingly right i think what rizwan was saying that is precisely the reason indians uh, would not let the true representatives of the kashmiri people to come and attend because they have you know a lot to hide Right. So they would not like the Kashmiri leaders to come to this stage where international presence is there, and you know the whole world is watching for them to come and inform uh, directly from the ground as to what is the situation there. So they cannot come anywhere because they are uh, in detention. And the other thing is that you know the way they object to the participation of the Kashmiri leadership. uh you know the the reason that they come up with is is totally baseless and flimsy you know the same what's uh, what's the reason that I they mean, give? the same stuff that they, they say that kashmir is an internal matter or right. you know integral part of india but this is just a conversation no one, at the end of the day right and so no one, if, no if one, you have nothing to hide you'd have the freedom of speech yeah, too yeah no one in the entire international community uh, believes or accepts uh, india's position that this is an internal matter it is not it is a internationally recognized dispute it is on the agenda of the un security council and uh, it is very clearly stated that, that this is a disputed territory and it has to be resolved by peaceful means yes uh, through a plebiscite or a referendum where the people of kashmir have have to decide you know about their future so you know it is very clear why the indians would not allow uh the kashmiri leadership to appear in such uh, forums
Right. In terms of, uh, if I take it, make it a little more macro, in terms of uh, the OIC's role on Kashmir, can you tell me a little bit about the history of what's been going on there? Yeah. Um, particularly uh, because previously we've heard, you know, conversations about the silence of the OIC. And so I'd like, I'd like a detailed uh, sort of analysis on that. Right. Let me preface uh, the answer to this question um, by uh, emphasizing that OIC is a political organization. Right. And only a political course of action can and should be expected from OIC. OIC is the second largest international organization with 57 member states. And uh, the significance of OIC's consistent support, the political support that OIC has been offering uh, to uh, the Kashmiri people, is not only uh, enhanced, but it has become paramount since uh, the uh, 5th of August 2019, because increasingly the matter has uh, evolved uh, since then as a legal issue, as a legal discourse, because India has blatantly violated international law of all sorts. Uh, you know, uh, the humanitarian law, international human rights law, uh, Fourth Geneva Convention, all sorts of laws have been violated in the wake of the illegal action and the litany of illegal actions since uh, have been taken by India. So in this uh, legal discussion, increasingly legal discourse, uh, Say, for instance, if Pakistan uh, says that uh, and, and uh, raises the voice about the rights or the case of Kashmiri people, it would be construed by international public opinion that it's natural. We are a party to the dispute, so we get to say our piece. And uh, it would perhaps, if you look at it from an international public opinion's perspective, be not that much, you know, strong. Right. But when OIC, being the second largest international organization, uh, puts its entire weight of 57 member states on Pakistan's side on Pakistan's political legal case consistently year after year, session after session, it really not only means something, it is indispensable to Pakistan's uh, position on the Jammu and Kashmir dispute because what OIC does is that it keeps reiterating the relevance of the UN Security Council resolutions session after session, you know, uh, meeting after meeting at, at all tiers. The CFM the summit, even in the sectoral meetings, uh, the relevant aspects of the Kashmir dispute are pointed out by the OIC. And this principle stand of OIC, with particular reference to the relevance of UN resolutions, is precious. Right. And, and this is something uh, that uh, needs to be promoted. And uh, with this uh, CFM, the coming CFM uh, being held in Islamabad and this issue again being uh, a center of attention, definitely, as, as, as Pakistan's public opinion, Pakistani media uh, is, is looking at it with a great deal of expectation. Uh, we hope and uh, inshallah we, we should be successful. Uh, in perhaps giving uh, OIC's uh, role a more uh, action and uh, result orientation right. uh, during this meeting. And, and that is how we will approach this discussion. And uh, inshallah, something good will come out of it. Right. Um, again, keeping the light on the same issue, but sort of, again, uh, making it a bit more macro, we're seeing a rise in Islamophobia within India as well. Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen the Muskan video 
Uh, we've seen a lot of these sort of lynchings that are, that have been happening, um, and somehow uh, it it hasn't been interna- internationalized the way that a lot of other things in, across the globe end up being. Um, particularly when it's right there in front of you, there's a lot of footage available. There's a lot of content there available as well. Um, obviously, OIC being uh, you know this conference of. Uh, uh, Islamic countries. Do you think this could potentially be a, a time to internationalize exactly what's going on? Because for a lot of people, they're saying this is this is basically the entry point to a potential genocide that could happen if things go, keep on going in the same way. And we've seen that happen across the globe. Previously, when genocides have happened, this is where this, this is always a starting point, right? And so, um, how important do you think? You know, we've been talking about Islamophobia very strongly. This government has been definitely very vocal about it. Pakistan's foreign office have been very vocal about it. We've seen the the, the designation of 15th March as the international uh, day against Islamophobia as well. Um, do you think that that will come under discussion in, in, at this OIC as well? Certainly, certainly, it it would come under discussion. And since uh, India clearly is uh, a red blinking blinking light uh, when it comes to Islamophobia on the world map. Uh, today, uh, it, there's going to be a focus as well. And uh, the uh, actions taken uh, by the uh, Indian uh, government, and that is certainly inspired by the Hindutva ideology uh, over the past uh, at least two years, uh, would be the center of attention, would be flagged, uh, would certainly be taken uh, note of uh, by the OIC, and uh, it is expected that the whole catalog of those, those actions uh, would not only be condemned and uh, brought to book, uh, but OIC, as again uh, with 50 member, 57 member states, uh, is going to make very strong pronouncements uh, on uh, a rejection of all these, uh, you know, actions, and uh, ensuring that the Muslim minority in India is given uh, its due rights because OIC is the natural leader on Islamophobia. Uh, With uh, most of its member states being Muslim-majority states, uh, it has uh, not only a constitutional in terms of its uh, charter, but a moral and political duty uh, to ensure protection of rights of Muslim minorities in non-member states. There is a whole agenda item. And under that rubric, we hope uh, strong outcomes. And uh, it is also opportune that this meeting is taking place on the heels of this uh, adoption of the UNGA, unanimous adoption of the UNGA resolution uh, on uh, declaring 15th of March as uh, the Combating International Islamophobia Day uh, internationally. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, this is the right time to have this discussion and not only to have this discussion, th- th- an opening has been provided right. by this resolution. There are other facets and dimensions, including the geographical dimension where India comes into focus on Islamophobia. And uh, it is uh, definitely realistic, uh, natural and rightful uh, to expect that there would be discussion, there would be outcomes. Right. And I think you have to look at the bigger picture also on this. Yes, you're right. And, and as Rizwan said, I think the uh, biggest demonstration uh, and concern about Islamophobia, that's what we are, you know, right now watching uh, in what is happening in our eastern uh, neighbor. And uh, the... I mean, going beyond that, I think uh, what we are doing, the effort that Pakistan has undertaken through OIC, and you mentioned the International Day to Combat Islamophobia, the resolution that has been adopted by consensus by the UN General Assembly, and OIC was the real force behind this. 
so you know we we got the oic together uh, to uh, bring this case at the international level at the un in new york and we were able to you know to get this successfully uh, this is not you mean know, it needs to be understood that we are not uh, you know uh, carrying a any confrontationist uh, approach you know uh, this is something that yes we are trying to create awareness about the dangers of islamophobia and india is a prime example uh, you know uh, but what we are trying to uh, promote and advocate is uh, greater harmony and understanding and uh, you know interreligious uh, harmony uh, this is the crux of uh, the resolution also that has been adopted at the UN general assembly so you know this is a positive thing and this is a, a you know this is a, a positive vibe uh, that uh, you know pakistan has led uh, at the global forum at the UN and i think that is why we see that uh, you know all regions from europeans to africans latin americans asians they they came together and there was unanimous support for this resolution only i think one country was clearly on the defensive and that was india and for obvious reasons because right. you know do you think uh, with this uh, you know uh, because pakistan was a very key sponsor of this particular resolution um probably my my question will be divided into two parts why do you think this was so incredibly important at this point in time um i do understand there's a global change in term in terms of how uh a lot of a lot of things are changing across the globe and islamophobia is definitely on the rise but why do you think it was important for pakistan to first of all actively work on this uh and then secondly do you think such a resolution i mean having such a day uh could potentially support the cause not just in india but i mean it's, we're we're seeing that happen across the globe there is a there is a certain uh a way that muslims have been treated over the past few decades and 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 uh obviously there's growing resentment uh within the muslim world as well because of that um so how important do you think this particular resolution and the this particular day now that it's 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 been um passed unanimously at the un uh has been because you know the issue has been there and it it was uh, kind of exacerbated uh in the wake of 911 you know right. the discrimination uh, towards muslims and even leading to sometimes violence and you know exclusion uh, lots of uh, lots of problems uh, with, were cropping up you know in europe in the west and but elsewhere as well and you know india is a you know prime example in recent years the way islamophobia has come up so it was being discussed also but not in the manner that you know it would really gain the attention of the international community so this is what the prime minister has been able to do especially his address to the un general assembly in 2019 where he you know he he focused largely apart from kashmir he focused on islamophobia and you know he reflected the sentiments of not only the muslims in pakistan but all over the world that you know we want the international community to understand our feelings towards our beloved holy prophet and you know why 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 is it that we want you know full respect uh, that is due so 
that was the turning point and then we built on that and we were able to you know forge consensus in OIC and uh, at the global level at, at the UN and as I was I was saying earlier I think the yes it is a resolution uh, which talks about Islamophobia but if when you look at the text of the resolution it clearly says you know we want to promote respect for all faiths and religions this is very important because right. if you don't do that you, you you cannot have your objective with regard to islamophobia so the objective is to create awareness and to promote uh, dialogue and interfaith and intercultural intercivilizational harmony i think this is the positive thing that pakistan has brought right uh, i'm going to move the conversation away from india for a bit and just take it to afghanistan and just, just kind of take a step back go towards uh, you know the, the the meeting that happened in december uh last year uh that was exclusively focused on afghanistan um what was the outcome of that and uh, what's happened ever since and do you think afghanistan or rather early on you mentioned that there will be a review uh for what was discussed early on do you think there's something new that may come up in regards to afghanistan particularly in the context of when when we saw that uh, the afghan money uh the almost i think 11 12 billion dollars half of it uh uh you know essentially was released for uh, the afghani people but the re- remainder of it continues to stay in the west um and we're also seeing a huge economic crisis within afghanistan there's a there's essentially no real economy um and there's been a sort of a freeze on inter- on, on on their uh government and their acknowledgement and really what's going to happen in regards to afghanistan um so so first of all just trying to understand what happened in december and what can we expect to come out over the next couple of days Well, you know, in December and this was again Pakistan's initiative together with Saudi Arabia to convene this extraordinary or special session on Afghanistan and the focus was on two things, the humanitarian crisis and as you also mentioned the economic crisis. And we were able to bring not only the Islamic world together but other, you know, important partners and stakeholders, the P5 countries were there and you know, the UN was there and and the international financial institutions and others and the outcome was very significant two or three main things from the outcome one was the decision to establish a OIC humanitarian trust fund right on afghanistan and that has i mean all the groundwork has been done and tomorrow uh, is going to be you know the the signing ceremony of the charter of this uh, trust fund this is okay a significant uh, progress Uh, secondly uh, a special envoy uh, was appointed on afghanistan he is in place and he's been you know uh, doing his work uh, reaching out to oic and others uh, to see how uh, oic can assist uh, with regard to the humanitarian and economic crisis in uh, in afghanistan and there was another element of strengthening the oic's uh, presence and office uh, in afghanistan and i think there is a lot of progress on that also I think Rizwan uh, dealing directly with some of these issues may like to add maybe something on this. No certainly uh, one important thing to note perhaps is uh, and that should be the point of departure in any analysis on this issue is this OIC is uniquely poised to deal th- with this issue because of its uh, uh, you know uh, uh, positive access that it has in, in Afghanistan um because uh, it is uh, certainly identified as an organization of uh, muslim majority states uh, 
Afghanistan has been founded member, a founding member of the organization. So it was in that spirit uh, that OIC organized that extraordinary uh, conference uh, in Islamabad. And as uh, the uh, spokesperson has mentioned, that there were key outcomes. Uh, for instance, on the Afghan Humanitarian uh, Trust Fund, uh, it, has, uh, it was a deliberate and a conscious decision at the OIC uh, to let the Islamic Development Bank run uh, that particular trust fund. And as has been pointed out, the charter signing ceremony is going to take place tomorrow. Uh, and uh, th the reason is that Islamic Development Bank has a credibility. It has a triple A rating uh, in terms of all uh, the rating agencies in, in the financial arena. Uh, and uh, that credibility is important for uh, not only operationalizing uh, this uh, trust fund, but carrying the effort because as uh, the Prime Minister pointed out in his keynote address at that uh, OIC extraordinary uh, CFM session, uh, it is not going to be uh, only the humanitarian effort. Uh, because you cannot expect uh, you know, Afghanistan to be restricted uh, or the people of Afghanistan to be restricted uh, to uh, dole outs from uh, international community. You need to revive the economy there. So it is going to be a medium term effort and there's going to be a long term uh, development effort uh, that uh, should uh, be sequenced. It should be so sequenced by OIC. And with the credibility of Islamic Development Bank, uh, it is important to note that it's not the just the OIC, but other international organizations, including the relevant UN agencies, and that is how the charter has been designed. Once the details come out, you will take a look at it in a very flexible uh, fashion that other uh, international organizations uh, in areas of humanitarian assistance, food, health, etc., could use that platform, that ingress, that unique poise that OIC has uh, with regard to taking any action in Afghanistan. And uh, the more important thing, of course, would be uh, for uh, the OIC uh, member states to uh, make adequate pledges uh, to keep uh, that uh, the, that fund uh, running. Uh, and uh, it is uh, a long drawn out effort, certainly. And the special envoy would be presenting a report uh, because it was so mandated in the last paragraph of the resolution uh, that was adopted in the extraordinary session uh, and um, discussed with the special envoy uh, just today because he already arrived. Uh, in Islamabad. Uh, the report is ready. Uh, it is a rather lengthy report. So there is definitely too much to report on. Uh, the special envoy was in Kabul about 10 days back. So, uh, and he has been consulting some key member states. Uh, so that progress would also be uh, reflected uh, and uh, presented to the member states. And then it would be, as you have mentioned, for the member states to determine the future course of action, uh, which mandates are to be renewed, which are to be added to uh, certainly a, a good outcome, uh, a strong outcome uh, is on the cards. Right. Um, Asim Saab, we, we, we've been seeing this, uh, you know, 2022 started with a lot of, uh, I mean, with the fundamental shift in how we're seeing what's happening across the globe, particularly in context of the Russian and Ukraine crisis. Um, we're, we're almost seeing, uh, you know, the world going back to the Cold War era, um, and and oh, by and large, the Muslim world is is after a very very long time uh, disconnected from a major conflict. Um, what do you think is 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 going on in the minds of the OIC 
uh, when they're looking at this conflict. Uh, I know for a fact that Pakistan was uh, sort of pushed into or, or, or was being forced to get into uh, this conflict, uh, you know, and this that became a huge controversy as well. Um, we've seen that, you know, allies are, are, are or formal allies are beginning to change the way that they used to deal with, uh, you know, their conventional uh, friends and new friends and foes are being made, created on the go. So just tell me a little bit about uh, what's the thought process of the OIC in general and the Muslim countries in general and Pakistan uh, in the context of the Ukraine and Russia crisis. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, this is uh, an important development. Uh, and uh, obviously with an OIC meeting taking place, many ministers participating, uh, you can expect that, you know, uh, some of them would like to uh, refer to this and, you know, bring this uh, in discussion. Eventually it is, uh, you know, individual positions of uh, the member states because this issue uh, per se is not on the agenda of the OIC, but you can expect that views uh, will be expressed. As far as Pakistan's position is concerned, I think, and we have uh, stated it uh, quite clearly, that we always take uh, positions uh, which are, uh, you know, which portray and and which would safeguard Pakistan's uh, own national interest and I think this is true for every country so so you know you have to keep that in mind secondly we have said that and you refer to you know the revival of cold war and and block politics we have said repeatedly that we do not want to be you know part of any block politics and we want to be partner in peace and not in conflict and now, now this conflict, I mean, it is remote, uh, you know, from here, from us. Uh, we have no direct involvement in it. And it is also important to uh, recall that Pakistan has uh, excellent relations with both Russia and Ukraine. Both are our friends. Um, the Prime Minister was recently in, 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 uh, in Russia. And Ukraine is a very uh, close partner of Pakistan as well. So, you know, looking at all of this... Uh, our position needs to be understood. You know, uh, it's a it's a delicate issue. That, that that's why I'm saying it needs to be understood clearly. Because some people have not understood it clearly. I think we have taken an objective position on the question of principles. You know, the respect for the UN Charter, sovereignty and territorial integrity, self determination, Pacific settlement of disputes, equal security for all. We have clearly said that, you know, we are committed to that. And, and actually, we have reminded the international community that these principles should be universally upheld and applied. There should be no, you know, discrimination or double standards or selectivity in the application. And we have seen that, you know, the, these principles are selectively applied by many countries. So that is something to be clarified. Secondly... Uh, the Prime Minister said, and I think it has been proven correct, that you know conflict is in no one's interest and it is going to impact, uh, affect the developing countries the most. And we are, we are ob- ob- already you know, uh, experiencing the effects of this conflict in terms of oil prices and food supply chains and many other things. So that is also very clearly stated by Pakistan. And thirdly, 
May we are calling for immediate uh, cessation of hostilities. Uh, we have uh, been emphasizing right from the beginning that you know uh, diplomacy has to step in and uh, there has to be dialogue and negotiations. We continue to say that, and you know we are encouraging. So we have reached out to both Ukraine and Russia, and we have reached out. The foreign minister has spoken to the neighboring countries, Romania, Poland. Hungary uh, we have spoken to the European Union and and others the Chinese and you know the purpose is to convey our position uh, i think we have placed uh, ourselves uh, in such a manner that we have contacts with both sides and we are in a position that we we can encourage both sides to you know have uh, constructive uh, dialogue and negotiations i think in the end most of the countries are saying that you know you, this has to be resolved through dialogue so this is what we are encouraging on the humanitarian side the situation is very very serious yes and i think that needs to be acknowledged and it is for that reason and taking into account our very good relations with ukraine that pakistan has also dispatched uh, humanitarian assistance uh, for ukraine right um if i were to sort of look at uh, look slight towards the east and we see you know Pakistan getting into this sort of uh, um, um, economic program uh, with China with CPEC and we're also seeing that in terms of our national policy we've we've started to talk about economic security in the past couple of years that's become incredibly important in terms of our own national security um but when whenever we look at the OIC we never really think economics and we never really talk economics and so individually there have been smaller uh, blocks and smaller sort of organizations that do talk about the economic connectivity um and even within our own uh, you know whenever we talk about talk about economic security for pakistan we're looking at central asia definitely we're looking at you know maybe uh, uh, connectivity through iran and turkey we're definitely looking at china and then connecting them to let's say um, africa and the middle east maybe um but in terms of oic this is an incredibly large like uh, you know rizwan sir mentioned earlier the second largest organization in the world um you know they have almost uh, uh, 1/4 of the global population an incredibly huge amount of gdp as well um do you think there is value and particularly i'm going to add in the context of the changing dynamics of the global world order do you think there is a value for the muslim countries to begin to have the conversation uh of economics whether be it trade connectivity um you know whether be it uh, financial uh, the with the way the financial systems are dealt with you know you earlier mentioned the islamic development bank um what's the what's the conversation uh in terms of economic security for pakistan and for all of these other countries that are connected um through this conference I think exactly and yes there is value and I think uh, this is one area that has been sort of you can say has been neglected or you know not given the right focus and uh, you know the the true potential uh, the economic potential of the Islamic world has not been we have not been able to exploit you mentioned that you know the islamic world uh, represents about a quarter of the world population but in terms of uh, contribution to global gdp it is only about 7 to 8% right. so you know we are we are lagging far behind and uh, so uh, very rightly pointed out by you this is one area in which uh, there is a lot of potential for cooperation and i think what we think is that if we are able to promote uh this uh, cooperation on the economic front 
connectivity, trade and investment, uh, it will forge even greater political unity and coherence uh, among the Islamic countries. And so this is something that Pakistan is uh, going to promote during its uh, chairmanship of uh, the Council of Foreign Ministers. Uh, as far as Pakistan itself is concerned, you know, we have stated clearly that, you know, we, I mean, in, the, in, in our policy, there is a refocusing from geopolitics to geoeconomics. And we are, you know, saying that three key pillars, uh, you know, regional peace and stability, friendly neighborhood, and uh, partnerships, and connectivity. And you mentioned Central Asia, Iran, Turkey, Africa, Middle East, and you know they're you, all Muslim you, countries. You know, so you just look, like look at it. Yeah. With the CPEC uh, and BRI, and you know uh, BRI is not limited to CPEC alone. It's not limited to Pakistan. Uh, CPEC is the you know flagship uh, project. Flagship project, but you know many uh, over a hundred countries uh, around the globe they are part of bri so you know there can be a lot more synchronization and synergy between uh, bri and similar projects and i think we, we are going to focus uh, on this economic side we we have uh, other things that can complement you know like uh, cooperation in science and technology i think pakistan is a leader in that uh, you know dimension also in the islamic world so we are looking at uh, re-energizing discussion within the oic uh, in this direction uh, i think uh, this is going to be uh, one significant uh, contribution that we are looking uh, to bring to the table at the oic during the next one year right and, and actually a yeah. singularly significant exponent of uh, what Asim has just said is the fact that, uh, as he mentioned uh, in the beginning, uh, the theme, right, partnering for unity, justice, and development. Right. So development is a clearly key aspect a, a key of it. element there. But right. OIC has a broad geographical spread. Maybe not the whole uh, membership is geographically contiguous. Uh, so uh, normally economic blocks are. Uh, you know, identified or associated uh, with geographical contiguity. Uh, but there are steps in OIC already uh, undergoing programs. Islamic Development Bank, as I mentioned, has already uh, contributed uh, since its establishment uh, to the tune of $65 billion of, uh, you know, disbursement amongst its member states, AAA rating, its performing institution. Uh, there is a Statistical Economic and Research Center, Social Cultural Research Center in Ankara, uh, Sasrik it is called. There is the Islamic Center for Trade Development uh, that is based in Morocco. And uh, maybe uh, it would be uh, a good news, uh, a news and a good news for your viewers uh, that it's not just the Council of Foreign Ministers meeting uh, that Pakistan is hosting this year. Uh, because of our uh, development focus and the geoeconomic uh, reset uh, that we have uh, just accomplished in our foreign policy, Pakistan is also going to host the OIC trade fair this year oh, really? in 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 uh, in maybe Lahore if not Islamabad right. that remains to be decided right. but there's going to be again 57 uh, member states uh, participate expected to participate in an OIC uh, wide 
uh, trade fair and that would be this opportunity to engage and connect with uh, Africa, Central Asia, all the countries, the Middle East that have been uh, mentioned. There is also a trade preferential system at the OIC that has been negotiated. And when you negotiate an international covenant or a treaty, uh, there always is a legal requirement uh, or a threshold of a sufficient number of uh, signatures and ratifications. So that is awaited and maybe during the chairmanship of Pakistan, we'll at least give it a go. That trade professional system also comes into play, enters into force. Uh, so uh, the countries signing on to that would be exchanging uh, trade concessions. And uh, it is our effort and endeavor that during our chairmanship and beyond, uh, the trade, uh, as uh, Asim has mentioned, it is insignificant. And the GDP uh, compared to the global GDP is insignificant. Uh, we would endeavor to uh, take it further, enhance and expand the scope of uh, this engagement. Uh, for uh, everybody's advantage uh, in the OIC membership. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the questions that has been on my mind um, over the past few years has been that we've seen the foreign office uh, you know, of Pakistan take a very active role compared to being very passive, at least for, a, for a, you know, an ordinary observer. What do you think has changed uh, over the past few years? Um, you know, n- not just in terms of the, the communication that's been coming out, but also in terms of the way that the entire organization has been working across the globe in terms of the Pakistani missions and the Pakistani consulates. Um, there's been a lot of innovation as well. Um, and, and my family, I mean, I have brothers in the U.S. They've been pretty, uh, pretty satisfied with some of the changes that have happened over the recent years. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about um, what's really changed here? Yes, uh- yeah, I think there has been gradual uh, progress and improvement uh, in many things. But in recent years, uh, you know, it has happened at a very fast pace. And I think uh, we must uh, acknowledge the way the foreign minister uh, has led this effort and uh, the overall guidance of the prime minister on many, many aspects. Uh, we have seen the results. For example, the foreign minister has given uh, very keen uh, attention to aspects such as dip, uh, public diplomacy, right, in economic diplomacy. So, you know, if you look at the uh, performance indicators for our ambassadors abroad, you know, the economic indicators, trade investment and, you know, these things reaching out to public, uh, use of social media, you know, reaching out to the civil society, all of this has uh, progressed at a very fast pace. And then the foreign minister is very hands-on. And he's in direct contact with, you know, the junior most, from the senior most to the junior most offices. We, you know, there is an app in our internal app, uh, FM Direct. Any officer uh, in the ministry or in missions abroad can send a message, a suggestion or anything directly to the foreign minister and he responds. Right. So, you know, there is this kind of environment. Very agile and very sort of hands-on. Yeah. So, and so so we've seen the results. You were mentioning, for example, public service delivery, you know, the kind of attention that has been given to Pakistani community abroad, diaspora, you know, looking at the long-standing problems like, you know, attestations, power of attorney, you, you recall the Prime Minister himself inaugurated the automation uh, of the power of attorney uh, system. So, you know, we have bring, we've brought in a lot of technology uh, and automation. 
uh, in the way we uh, you know deal uh, uh, with the uh, issues uh, confronting the community and there has been a direct outreach uh, you know uh, through uh, e kacheries and khuli kacheries and open door policy any embassy uh, you would notice that the ambassador and the officers are available uh, you know all the time and right. and, and, and your people can walk in right so there is this great uh, enhancement uh, in, you know visually uh, to the public and behind the scenes and also openly i think on major foreign policy issues uh, there has been a lot of dynamism i think we have focused on areas that were slightly you know out of focus uh, previously uh, africa for example latin america uh, you know vision east asia policy is being pursued more vigorously similarly central asia so i think on the whole and there is a lot of uh, dynamism and i think uh, we draw a lot of satisfaction from doing all this right i'm going to move on to the last two questions um and and I'd like your comment on that first being the 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 um, socials of or the social media accounts of a few embassies that have been recently been hacked and it's it's been happening fairly regularly and so cyber attacks have been in- definitely increasing on pakistani um mission accounts across the globe um I I I believe the most recent one was only a few weeks ago what is the the foreign ministry or the foreign office doing uh, to ensure the security because these are very very sensitive and important uh, assets right in the in the postmodern world and so w- w- what is being done to ensure that such things do not happen again yeah i think we i mean uh, when this happened uh, once or twice uh, you know we uh, had a look at our sops and uh, you know the guidance that is there for our uh, embassies and uh, the result is that yeah i mean such attacks maybe will continue to happen but i think we are more uh, prepared uh, now to respond quickly uh, and you know to limit the, the impact the of the damage yes yeah. so and that we have shown uh, in the last one or two uh but there are other procedures that we are following um uh, and uh, you know we are undertaking uh, you know training sessions also for our officers who deal with social media uh handles uh, abroad uh, i think there's a lot of improvement but still uh, you know we we keep a tab on this and we also consult the you know our technical ministries Uh, on how to do this uh, better right yeah. um the last question is 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 pertaining to a recent incident that happened um you know in pakistan where a rogue missile essentially came from india and landed in pakistan uh, for a lot of people you know i mean the, the way that it happened a lot of people are in shock uh to think something like this could happen in terms of first of all the incident happening in the first place and then the response that was generated which seemed quite sloppy considering the fact that these are two nuclear armed countries mm. and any uh, misadventure could have resulted in potentially the deaths of millions of people um and it's extremely extremely serious um but somehow um the international community has not taken it as seriously as it should have been um what do you think is 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 the government of pakistan doing and particularly the foreign office uh, and, and are are you pursuing that or do you think it's i mean it happened you had had a conversation and now you're moving on you know no this was 
you know a grave incident and i think uh, uh, you know the severity of this incident uh, it needs to be uh, highlighted and this is what we have done uh, you maybe right in a way that you know the kind of uh, serious response that it warranted from the international community it's not yet there and that's why we are not letting it go uh you know in that way uh so you would have seen our statements uh i i think the uh kind of uh, response that the indian side has come up with is not at all um, satisfactory it is not sufficient that's why we are not uh, you know ready to accept that uh we have clearly uh, stated that uh, you know this needs to be investigated uh properly and fully uh, we have proposed that there be a joint investigation or probe we have uh, put forward a, a number of fundamental questions that i think india needs to answer and i think these answers are required not only by pakistan but the you know the by but by the international community because uh, this is something that as you said it cannot be taken uh, lightly you know the kind of simplistic uh explanation that the indians uh, have come up with uh, they are not sufficient no one is going to believe that so we are going to uh, push this we have uh, briefed and uh, consulted many countries uh, already on this the p5 the europeans and others uh, we the foreign minister has uh, spoken to the un secretary general we have uh, written to the un security council uh, you know bringing this uh, matter to their attention and the even the un security council has been asked to that they should demand uh, from india that they must accept a joint investigation on this uh, incident uh, this uh, is something that uh, you know we will continue to uh, to pursue and highlight right um sir thank you so much uh, for this uh, for taking the time out for sharing all the insight and i know that the next 3 days are incredibly important i hope that you know inshallah we should be able to get the outcomes uh, that we're hoping for i wish you all the very best and looking forward to seeing you know what comes out of the oic thank you thank you thank you very much and for all of you guys thank you so much for watching agar aap ye episode pasand aaya aur dost yaar has zarur share kariyega aap in tamam baaton ke bare mein if you have any comments do let us know in the comment section below uh, for people on youtube uh, if you like the channel uh, the video is going to get more views for people on audio platforms you can subscribe uh, the channel and you'd get notifications for the future episodes if you like to support the channel we there's an easy pay jazz cash uh, you know prompt that's appearing anywhere over here uh, we accept anything from 1 rupee to as much as you like it's a thought that counts but anyways this was sayyam azam al-hasan zaidi you are watching thought behind things thank you so much for watching. watching and I'll see you in the next one